Hi, this is Jennifer White with the Portage Park District, and welcome to our podcast. I'm excited for you to hear today my chat with my friend, Jamie Emmert, with the Ohio Division of Wildlife. She explains a bit about what the division does and also what you can do if you come across any wildlife this time of year, particularly the young wildlife. Enjoy. I'm excited to have you on today because we have been getting a number of questions, not only at the office, but also in my life personally, friends and family, uh, seeing fawn, seeing baby rabbits, seeing seeing a lot of animal babies that are out and about. And so I thought this would be a great time to have you on to talk a little bit about uh, our human interactions with wildlife and you know what are some of the things that people can look for and what should you do if you come across uh, some of those. But before we get started on that conversation, uh, because I've known you most of my career and have uh, used the services with Division of Wildlife and understand what the division is about, um, I just assume sometimes that everybody knows. So I would love it if you would introduce yourself and then talk a little bit about the Ohio Division of Wildlife and what it is and what uh, the function of the division is. Thank you, Jen. It's a pleasure to be on here today and to represent the Division of Wildlife. And you're right, a lot of folks don't really understand or able to capture exactly who is responsible for wildlife in Ohio and how that works and who to call if there's concerns about a wild animal that someone has kind of come in contact with. So hopefully we can cover that all today. And to start with, the Ohio Division of Wildlife has been around for since the 50s, as it's known today. And we've been enforcing laws to protect wildlife populations in Ohio and very specifically native wildlife populations. And so um, a lot of animals that we encounter on a routine basis are in our jurisdiction. So this includes deer and raccoons and red-tailed hawks and songbirds of all sorts (laughs) and snakes and fish and the list goes on and on. So um, you can always call us even if you're not even sure if it's in our wheelhouse and we will know who to call. With that said, we're a state government agency. We're a part of the bigger agency of the Ohio Department of Natural Resources. We're one of many different divisions under ODNR. And each of the divisions have, we all have our individual responsibilities to care for and educate people about the environment. The Ohio Division of Wildlife, we um, help protect wildlife populations, obviously. So we set Mm -hmm. hunting and fishing regulations. We connect people with just simply watching wildlife and identifying and enjoying wildlife. We have wildlife areas that are set aside to be habitat for wildlife and to help protect populations, but also allow people to pursue wildlife, whether that's through hunting, fishing, or through watching. So just a crash course in who Mm -hmm. we are. For some of the resources and the uh, tools that you provide in your role with the division, in case we have some listeners on that are educators or who are, you know, working with both adult and student populations, you know, what kinds of resources are available? We have endless opportunities. We are so fortunate. <laughs> and in Ohio, um, thing, funding is is complex, and but it's it's really wonderful. Mm-hmm. We we're blessed because we have hunting and fishing license sales, which are major contributors to our funding stream. So anyone who hunts or fishes and purchases a license, or even if you don't and you just purchase that license in order to support us, which we're really grateful for, that money comes back to help us do what we do. Same with if you purchase an Ohio Wildlife Legacy stamp, which is a collector's a collector's stamp just to help fund 
wildlife um, protection and habitat and cardinal and bald eagle license plates. There's a line on when you're filling out your income tax checkoff where you can donate to wildlife. All yes. of those, those streams come back to the Ohio Division of Wildlife to allow us to protect wildlife populations, conduct research, purchase much needed habitat, keep that those habitats healthy for wildlife and also for us to produce educational materials. And Ohio, we set ourselves apart from almost any state in the country. And as far as I know, this is a very, very unique program where we have well over a dozen, I think we're up to 16 or 17 topics now. Uh, there's our field mm -hmm. guides that we produce. They're color field guides that are totally free to the public, paid for through that license sales stream and donations. And we focus on helping educate people to identify common birds and water birds and butterflies. And we even have one on lichens because lichens are so crucial to the well-being of so many mm -hmm. wildlife species. There's that strong connection. And people love this series. I, one of the things I wanted to specifically talk with you about today is uh, this this season of new births of baby animals and um, you know who's kind of who's out there and what do we do if we if we find an animal what do we do can how do we recognize whether it's uh, abandoned or whether it's injured and sort of where do we go from here because uh, I know there is there's quite a bit of you know social media out there and I know it's a small percentage but um, you'll see these uh, just adorable videos of people with little deer fawns and things like that and um, I know how uh, damaging and dangerous that is, but I, I would love it if you would kind of explain to folks, because I think once we know better, we can do better. So um, I guess to start, let's let's start with the, the white-tailed deer, because um, I know I've been seeing fawns along our trails, uh, along the road. Uh, talk to me a little bit about uh, the fawns that we're starting to see sure, this time of year. Can. Right now, this time of year, usually around Memorial Day and then just within a week or two before and after, we see a peak in white-tailed deer fawns being born. And many of the calls that I get are from well-intentioned people who stumble upon a fawn, almost literally, mm -hmm. they're out for a walk, and they almost step on this <laughs> tiny little newborn fawn that's just cuddled into a little ball and and they don't know what to do. And good intentions can hurt. Wildlife should always stay in the, in the wild if possible, but it's easier said than done because we, we often mm -hmm. see this poor, seemingly, you know, uh, helpless animal and we want to do something to make it better. And that's, it's a wonderful trait to have, but sometimes we just have to step back and think about what's best for that animal. So in the case of stumbling upon a fawn who's bedded down in a lawn, maybe up against the, the base of a huge oak tree, it seems random, but in reality, <laughs> mom has left her baby there on, on purpose. The doe will find mm -hmm. a location that she deems to be safe and a reasonable place where she can leave her baby to be while she goes and forages. Because that baby, within its first few days of life especially, it's not very strong. Within just a few minutes of being born, that mm -hmm. fawn can stand up and stumble around and feed from, from its mother, but it wears out really quickly. And if a predator 
say a, a red fox, for instance, were to see this fawn, it could probably run the fawn down pretty quickly. So the doe is smart enough. Mm -hmm. She knows exactly what she's doing. She's going to encourage that fawn to lay down quietly and freeze and stay still. And it's scentless. It has no scent at this point. So she's removing herself from the situation so as not to distract and, and to attract that predator. It's all very, very interesting and fascinating stuff. Where and people don't necessarily trust me at first when I say, I assure you she's nearby. <laughs> she's probably watching the humans tromping around looking at her baby. She's staying quiet and hiding probably nearby in the tree line. She's waiting for the cover of darkness before she returns to her fawn to feed it. She'll check on it for a few, every maybe mm -hmm. every few hours, but typically at dusk and dawn and then throughout the night. So mom will eventually come back, but she will not come back if we're hovering over the fawn. And again, that's the hardest part is removing ourselves from the situation, watching from a distance, monitoring and making sure that, that we're not mm -hmm. keeping the mom away. And that applies, obviously, not just to fawns, but other species, too. So the, the bottom line is that if everything looks fine, you stumble upon a fawn, it's lying there motionless, but clearly alive, looking healthy. Otherwise, there's no bleeding, there's no distress that you can see, no trauma, then that fawn should just be left alone, not handled, not bothered, just walk away and and keep an eye on it maybe every few hours, see if anything has changed. Chances are you will either witness the doe come back to retrieve the fawn or the fawn will be gone. And that's a good thing because that means that the doe did in fact retrieve the fawn. Mm -hmm. I, I can confidently say that nine out of 10 times this has happened in my life. I've been doing this for 17 years, helping educate people. <laughs> and I can tell you that there have been so many times that I've gotten a return, a, a follow-up phone call from very, very relieved folks who said that the fa the fawn is fine. Mom came back. Yeah. It's all good. So that, that's it's it, rest assured that most of the time it works works out. But if something does seem amiss, then please reach out to us, and mm -hmm. and we'll be glad to offer advice. And just when you first discover that there may be a problem, try to decide what tells you, what in your gut tells you that something is wrong. Give us some indication of what has mm -hmm. you concerned. And it, the more detail that you can share with us, the better advice we can give. Exactly, exactly. Um, how about some of our other uh, mammals like raccoons and rabbits and squirrels? If we um, find babies uh, around, I know rabbits has been a, a pretty common one to this time of year with, uh, you know, with finding nests and yards. And um, talk to me a little bit about what to do if we come across sure. those so cotton animals. Sure, so rabbits are very commonly encountered, especially when homeowners are out mowing the lawn or weeding the flower bed because these are two very common areas where a mother rabbit will choose to raise her young and so she'll make a depression she'll dig out a depression in the lawn for instance or in the flower bed and she will produce um, maybe just three young but as many as 12 sometimes and yeah so she wow. has a lot to care for and will be coming back throughout the nighttime hours under the cover of darkness, just like that, that um, doe, mother doe. And so she will feed her young as quickly as possible so as not to draw too much attention from predators. And then she'll depart again. So 
99% of the time that you're going to see these bunnies, these this nest, mom is nowhere to be found. And that's because she's laying low mm. and staying away and feeding and, and staying safe herself. And so the nest is usually just this depression covered with some dead grasses and a lot of her body hair. And that will keep the babies nice and warm. So it's important that if you find this nest, if you can tolerate it staying in that spot, just to leave it be. Because we don't want mm -hmm. to attract any attention to this nest. We don't want to stress the babies out. Um, if you do find a nest that has been raided by, say, your dog accidentally no nosed into the nest and you because you didn't know it was there, you can put the babies back in the nest and cover it up. And there's a couple of different options depending on the tolerance of the homeowner. Maybe a, a, a simple fencing of some sort. Snow fencing is a very effective and and budget-friendly way to keep pets and, and children at bay. So just putting up some of that orange snow fencing for just 10 days is roughly all you need, depending on when you found the nest, to protect that nest from predators. And in that snow fencing, mom can still uh, get in and out through those holes. She's able to still fit through those holes and, and attend to her babies and then leave again. So a laundry basket with big enough holes with a brick on top might be an option. Um, but you can call us and we can give you all sorts of ideas on how we can try to protect this nest and, and see to it that it's successful. Um, the same, I guess, rules apply or the same theory applies with these animals that uh, just because they're by themselves doesn't mean that mom isn't, you know, isn't there, isn't taking there care of them. personal experience several years ago that tested my, I, I tested my own confidence in what I was sharing <laughs> because I, I found this nest, I was mowing <laughs> and I'd let the grass get just a little too tall than what I normally did and life got in the way. And so I, I started up that <laughs> mower, I did some transects, like I always tell people to do before mowing to make sure that you know it's clear of wildlife and so I started the mower and I'm walking along and all of a sudden I felt my foot go into a little bit of a depression I'd mowed right over and I just my heart um, skipped a beat because I thought that depression wasn't there last time I mowed and mm -hmm. so I peeled back the grass and lo and behold there were a half a dozen baby bunnies covered in fur at this point so they'd been there a few days and um, wow. so I yeah. covered it back up and left. And the next day, the grass hadn't moved. And I thought, oh, no, what did I do? And so I called <laughs> a well-known well and, and very knowledgeable and reliable wildlife rehabilitator who's certified and, and highly trained in caring for cottontail rabbits. And I asked her, what do I do? And she assured me that everything was fine and that I could put a tic-tac-toe pattern of sticks on top of the nest. And that would help reveal if mom came back that night. If the sticks were moved, then in fact, mom had been there and the babies are fine. So I did in fact do this. Well, I had laid the sticks so far apart and not directly over the nest or too close together, rather. They, they were really close together on the center of the nest. Well, she came back and fed her young, but unbeknownst to me, she's so careful and does such little damage to the nest that wow. there was no indication that the sticks were moved. And so I, I actually jumped on YouTube. I watched a video of a rabbit feeding her young, a wild rabbit. And all she does is she hops up to the nest, Jen. She, sit, she lays her belly and presses her belly down against the, the grass. 
and the babies stick their noses out, they're able to feed and, and get, get milk. And then they climb back down in the nest and she hops away. So there's barely, it, it's, it's fascinating. There's barely any reveal of the babies at all from, from my, from the perspective of the camera. So that led me to understand that I needed to put the sticks out wider around the nest. And then when I did that, I saw that the sticks were moved the following morning. So it's, it was, yeah, it was oh my a really goodness. cool experience and, and very relieving at the same time, of course. And, and, and they were fine. They eventually they grew up and several days later were strong enough to, to venture out on their own. But it also shows that here you are. I mean, you know, it's it's like that 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 emotion though of being concerned because, like you say, most of the time it, folks are just completely well intentioned, exactly. and you just exactly. want to help. In, so, in the, you know, shoes of the the people I talk with on a daily basis, <laughs> it, it just helped bring me back to reality. <laughs> it was the check I needed. <laughs> now, you and I are both birders and uh, and and love birds, but baby birds is another. That's another one that um, I get a lot of friends and family asking about you know, what do you do when I find I found this baby bird on the ground so would you care to share with us a little bit about uh finding some baby birds and what so to do with those a couple of different possible scenarios depending on the, the species and how old it is and so forth so we can start with one of the most common and that's that somebody um, finds a, a baby bird without any feathers on it it's very tiny. It may not even have its eyes open yet, and it's laying at the base of a tree. So if you find this, this baby, look up, and you will probably see a nearby nest in a shrub or a tree where it's just clumsily fallen out or a sibling has pushed it out of the nest. Maybe a strong wind shook the branch too much, and it, it tumbled out. Mm -hmm. Baby birds, as fragile as they may look, are actually quite strong and quite, quite resilient, and can survive that that when they strike the ground they kind of just they bounce like a ping pong ball so just pick them up you can w use gloves it's a good idea to, to put gloves on because sometimes there's things like bird lice that doesn't harm us but we just don't want them crawling around on our skin and just place that that baby bird right. back up in the nest if you can that's the most ideal scenario and there's a old wives tale. You probably know where I'm going with this, Jen, that mom will not come yes. back. Yes. Now you have added human scent to the nest and to the flat, to the baby bird. But the reality is that songbirds don't actually have a sense of smell. So she would never know the wiser. And even if she sees you do it, she's so concerned as with any wildlife parent she's very dedicated. So she's going to come back to that nest immediately after you remove yourself. Yeah. And that goes back to the conversation we had about the fawn. You just have to remove yourself. You have to step away because she's sure. going to be scared for herself too. And even though she wants to tend to her babies, she's not going to put herself in danger of this predator that's hovering over the nest. So just place that baby safely back in the nest and walk away. Maybe watch through the kitchen window or from the front porch if you can at a distance. And we, I can rest assured that mom is probably going to come back to tend to her nest. Um, the other scenario with birds, I'm sure you were going to get to this anyway. Um, I know in my yard, I usually see it with baby robins. That's that's the uh, the one that I see the most where you'll see these young feathered um little nestlings that are bouncing around the yard, you know, hiding out in the flower beds. Yeah, that's a great um, what question. should we do with those? This is a tough one because this fledgling little bird who now has feathers, 
isn't quite flight capable, but it thinks it is. So it's getting anxious. It's a little bit too big for mm -hmm. the nest now, especially if it has siblings and they're all bumping into each other and they are getting ornery and they just want to fly and they want to literally spread their wings, but they haven't really developed strong flight muscles yet. So they may mostly have the feathers to fly, but their muscles just aren't strong enough. They wear out too quickly. So they leave for the nest and then they flutter to the ground and then they're not strong enough to be able to get back up into the nest. Depending on the species, they may be able to. Songbirds have a really hard time and, and can't usually do it, but hawks and owls can sometimes, depending on the type of tree, for instance, climb back up branches and make its way back up at least close to the nest, if not, mm. in fact, in the nest. But songbirds just don't have the, the right, um, you know, muscles and, and be able to get up into that back in that nest. So the point is that sure. they're going to be grounded. And this is a very vulnerable time. This is nature's way of, of survival of the fittest, as brutal as that sounds. But there are steps that we mm -hmm. humans can take to ensure right. that they're as protected as possible from unnecessary barriers. So again, keeping pets contained or, or at least leashed so that they can't predate on these vulnerable animals and also keeping kiddos at bay so they don't handle and stress the animals out and adults alike. Uh, we don't want to, to be fumbling around with these babies any more mm -hmm. than we absolutely have to. So if you can just keep keep away and let it have its space, that's the best thing to do. And maybe if you have the opportunity mm -hmm. to pick it up and put it on a branch, again, handling it very quickly and very carefully like that is not going to harm the animal. Um, and you can try to help it out by getting it up off the ground. But chances are that it's probably going to flutter right back down to the ground just a few minutes later trying to strengthen those flight muscles right so robins are another good example or is indeed a good example of this because they do it over and over and over and it'll go on for a couple of days until they're strong enough to stay up in the tree or to fly um the last thing i wanted to talk about just because this is a uh, from my life experience you know as a kid i would get you know would, would find a turtle and we'd you know keep it for a day or two and you know feed it and then we'd let it you know we'd let it go where we found it but still um talk to me a little bit about why that's not okay in ohio and you know just about and the reasons behind that because i, I think many of us have had those experiences as kids and so we want to know better do better Absolutely. for our kids and, and so for this next generation it's the biggest reason why we should not bring wildlife into our homes as pets is because we just simply can't provide the best care for these wild animals. They mm -hmm. belong in nature where they yes. can get what they need to survive, the food, water, shelter, and space that they deserve and get it from their parents who know best how to care for them. And so we, we mm -hmm. it's hard for us to replicate the food that they need, the water content that they sure. need. Like Secondly, there are Thank laws you. protecting us from taking in and possessing wild animals. They belong to all of us, not to an individual. And so mm -hmm. we, we also, you know, have those laws that prevent people from having wildlife as pets. There are ways that you may know somebody who has a raccoon as a pet, for instance, that person is probably permitted by the state of Ohio and has gone through many different mm -hmm. avenues through the legal, uh, through legal means in order to 
get that animal as a pet. So there are ways of doing it, but nobody can just go out in the wild in Ohio and collect a wild animal and keep it with a pet as a pet. And there are just a very few, a couple of exceptions. We've made exceptions because we, you and I both know directly, Jen, that when we were kids, we wanted to collect green frogs and take them home and show mom and dad and show our friends and have them for a few days. And so there are certain exceptions, Mm -hmm. especially for for reptiles and amphibians where they can be kept for a certain Mm -hmm. period of time or one of something can be kept because we are, we're, you know, we appreciate people, you know, these budding scientists. So anybody who has questions about these exceptions and how to do it properly should absolutely reach out to us so we can answer your questions. But lastly, it's because we we are concerned about the safety of, of people who have these animals in captivity too, of course, equally as important as the other two topics is the Mm -hmm. fact that these wild animals often carry diseases that doesn't, that sit dormant in them that can make us very Mm -hmm. sick. So raccoons carry a number of different viruses and bacteria that can harm humans, especially vulnerable humans. And not to mention that what do you think a raccoon does when it's scared and tries to evade what it might perceive as a predator, Mm -hmm. which is just humans trying to help it. It's going to bite and it's going to scratch. And that's going to be a really, really bad scenario too. So there's all these reasons why it's important to let professionals and experts help you out when you're trying to help an animal that that needs it. Excellent. Excellent. I think that's a great place to end is say let let them be wild, really. I hope you enjoyed learning about how you can help our native wildlife species today. For more information, you can visit the portageparkdistrict.org website and look under remote education. One of our featured words is mammals, and beneath that, there's a link to a few Division of Wildlife websites, including a link to the Ohio Certified Wildlife Rehabilitators list for this current year. Also, if you want to get in touch directly with the Division of Wildlife, you can visit wildohio.gov or call the hotline at 1-800-WILDLIFE. The District 3 office, where Jamie is located, is in Akron, in the Portage Lakes area, and their direct line is 330-644-2293.